Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Good morning, church. It is so good I get to be with you this morning. I'm thrilled to be back with you. And I want you to know something. I miss your pastor. I want him here. I love me some Brother Sawyer and Sister Phyllis. They're the best. I just love them so much. And uh, But I heard they're stabbing devils in Honduras. So as long as they're stabbing devils, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. So we're going to stab some here this morning. If you're ready for the word, somebody say, preach. preach. Now, I want y'all to know I had to change pants and there's a little bit of a wardrobe malfunction this morning. Um, what had happened was my pants quit. So I, I fired them. They're back at the hotel. I put some Levi's on. I'm feeling good right now. I, this is great. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to preach like I'm back in my church back in Daytona Beach. And we're going to just have Holy Ghost tear the roof off church up in here. So grab your Bible with me and turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Let me get my, my iPad to open up. Good. 2 Samuel. And we're going to dive into chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. And while you're looking that up, I will introduce my lady because she's here with me. And, and Pastor alluded to that. Honey, why don't you come here for a second? This is my bride, Hush Marine. We've been married 22 years. Hey, girl. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. It's really good to be here. We have two boys there in Daytona Beach. And um, actually, they went up to Seattle to visit their grandparents. And um, they are having a blast. But they send their regards. They are 18 and 16. One six eight, and the other one six one. And I have to look at them and say, hey, go clean your room. <laughs> but um, they are amazing. And they say hello. Thank you for having us. Mm, mm, mm. You go home, girl. Better get out of here before I do something wrong. <laughs> you can meet my wife. My bride will be outside um, in the lobby. We have a table out there for a bunch of ministry resources that we want to equip you with. In fact, um, we have uh, the series I'm preaching out of today called The Aroma. I promise you, you're going to enjoy this and it's going to minister to your soul. And this series is part of a greater work that we're doing on the six senses of humanity. Someone said, well, there's normally only five. I believe the sixth sense is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this fall, I'll be completing a, a, a book on the six senses of humanity and how God speaks to us through his creation. Trust me when I tell you, you're going to know more of your value in the kingdom of God today than ever before. And you can get that series back there. It's available. Um, also, The Empire Strikes Back, probably one of my favorite series to preach, all about spiritual warfare and what that looks like today. Not just stuff where people get weird. You're like, what are you talking about? I didn't see a demon come in your house. That was your ugly Uncle Ray. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about spiritual warfare in the daily life that we live, how the enemy tries to work his way in and steal your worship. Ooh, I'll preach that. Mm, I wish I was preaching that right now, girl. You know, let's see if she got it. Go, girl. Oh! That's my sister. Y'all don't know. That's my sister. Okay. Also, um, we have our best-selling book, Undefeated, back there available for you. And um, this book will minister to you. If you're married, I'm going to tell you right now, get two. 
my wife and I used to grow apart. We'd read two different things or do two different devotions or, or two different studies. And when we started reading and studying together, we started growing together. Grow together. I promise you it's going to bless your life. This book is all about supernatural victory and what that looks like every day in your life. How to walk and live and talk and breathe in victory every single minute. Whether you're brand new to Christ or you've been living for Christ for 100 years, this book speaks to how you and I can better our serve in the kingdom of God. You don't want to miss that. Um, I'll never forget when we released the book. I was like, Jesus, please let somebody get this book. And they did. Our book shot up our publisher's bestsellers list, and my book outsold Joseph Prince and Joel Osteen's books. Hey, that's right. For nine days, Pastor Josh, it's just just nine days. That's that's how long it lasted. This is for you, but you got to go get one for your lady because grow together. Grow. To, I got something else for Mama. I got your back, sis. We also have T-shirts now. Normally, I don't have T-shirts, but. America needs this shirt. Everybody say, America needs this shirt. I'm going to take the time to talk about it because we need this. Jesus. Just Jesus. It's just simple right now. Jesus all the time. Jesus right down the middle. Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center. I want Jesus at the center of everything I do. It's all about Jesus. If you want to know what's going to fix every problem we got, Jesus. If you want to know the answer to life's issues, Jesus. If you want to know what's going to happen in America, a revival through the power and the blood of Jesus. That's where we're heading. And so I did that. And then on the back, I said, let's have some fun. So on the back, it says, he's been lit since Genesis. That's right. And the back glows in the dark. So you can shine your light in the darkness. And that's for you, Coco Hauntus. Mm-hmm. But your fine self working that haircut. Looking good. Look at your lady and say, you look good. I'm helping marriages today. Here we go. <laughs> if you're ready for the words, somebody say, let's go. All right, I'm going to preach this fast, so bear with me. This is going to go quickly. In, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, David is king. And David has problems, y'all. His own son named Absalom is trying to kill him and steal his throne. And at this moment in 2 Samuel 15, a messenger is coming to tell David, the people are turning on you because they're starting to chase after your son Absalom who wants your throne. So here we go. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are now with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, he says, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us, bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him and said, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord, the king chooses. So the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. Pastor Josh will preach about concubines next week. Hallelujah. So the king, I'm just kidding. So the king set out with all the people following him and they halted at the edge of the city. All his men marched past him along with all the Carathites and the Pelathites and the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. This is important. Let's skip down to verse, uh, hmm, let's go to verse, where should we go? I want to read, ah, here we go. Zadok, the priest, was there too. 
Verse 24. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. What were they carrying? Okay, let me ask a real quick question. What is the Ark of the Covenant of God? That's right, the presence of God. And in what shape was it placed? A box. See, in the first, see, I, I don't barely have to explain this to first service. Okay, everybody knows the first service loves Jesus. Anybody gets up this early is a saint. In the rain, knowing that brown sugar and white sugar melts in the rain, knowing you walk through that to get in here, I know you love Jesus. Second service, mm, they ain't right, they ain't sanctified, so I got to explain a lot to them. <laughs> I'm never getting invited back, am I? <laughs> but in the first testament of the Bible, it's so interesting that God loved the people so much, and they had such a rudimentary understanding of deity, that God said this to them. He said, listen, build a box. And put some articles in that box, but I'm going to put something in the box too. God said, I'm going to put a representation of my presence in the box. Wherever you go, carry the box. Wherever you sleep, bring the box. Wherever you worship, worship round the box. I'm not just a God who wants to lord over you. I'm a God who wants to dwell among you. I'm a relational God. That's beautiful. In the New Testament, Jesus came and he said, listen, I'm going to fulfill this. What we're going to do is we're going to let you know that God no longer wants to make his habitation in wood and stone. God wants to now make his habitation in blood and bone. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are the box. Lean over to your neighbor and say, you are the box. You might even want to tell him the truth and say, I'm a good looking box. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The Bible says they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God, and they set down the Ark of God. This is so important. And Abiathar offered sacrifices. Someone say sacrifices. Until all the people had finished leaving the city. Father, I pray this morning in the short time we have that you'd supernaturally transform us by your word. Lord, shift us into victory in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. 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 I love studying the life of David. I love how David went through so much agony, so many difficult circumstances, so many difficult scenes in his life, but, and yet he never gave up. He never quit. David didn't turn his back on God. Even through his difficult times where he sinned, he always about faced and repented. David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he had the character qualities Of a victorious person. How do we attain that victory? Furthermore, when we're going through difficult times, how do we live in victory? I don't know about you, but when 2020 hit, I had plans. None of them worked out. And I remember thinking, God, are you even in this? What? Did you leave this year? Did you take a vacation this year? Because it seemed like all hell's breaking loose. And the Lord showed me this scene in the word and awakened something inside of me to reveal to you about how you and I can live in victory through life's greatest obstacles. It's right here in the scripture. Everything we need right here in this word. How to walk in victory even though everything's gone wrong. How many of y'all going through something right now and you need a word like this? The Bible says this, that David... Had his own family trying to kill him. 
But David maintained his composure serving the Lord. So much so, get this, that while David was leaving the city and seeming defeat, his hater appeared. Y'all got haters in Decatur? Y'all know about haters out here? Y'all got some of those? People that wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning, they drink haterade and eat hater tots. Haters. David had a hater named Shimei. You might want to say that name right now. Just practice it. Shimei. So when you get out your bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you bust your toe on the edge of the bed, don't cuss, but Shimei. It's a new cuss word. I made it up. Shimei was a world-class hater. And while David was leaving in victory, when everything was going wrong in his life, there's always someone who shows up and makes it worse. That was Shimei, that hater that showed up. He said, oh, David, you're nothing more than a murderer and a scoundrel. You're getting what you deserve, Shimei, 2 Samuel chapter 16. And the Bible says this, David didn't even attack or speak back. I'm reading this. I'm like, dude, I want some of David in my life. Download David into my heart right now. How do I do that? Because David didn't attack him, didn't kill him, didn't murder him. I would have cut him. Okay, I'm saved, but I ain't fully sanctified yet. How did he not do this? In fact, this is what happened. David's mighty men came along and they said, David, please, David, please, please let us go up on that hillside and kill that fool. You're like, uh-uh, they didn't say that. Oh, shoot, let me read it to you. Second Samuel chapter 16, the Bible says that, that Abishai, his name means faithful and true. He came up to the king and said, king, please let me go up on that hillside and take his head off. Who is he that he would speak against God's king? All right, all right. David said this to him. He said, he said, listen, my own son... Abishai, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more this Benjamite? He says this, leave him alone. Let him curse. For perhaps the Lord has told him to. Perhaps the Lord will look down upon me, see my misery, and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. I read that and I said, hold up. There's some, there's some theology in that right there. He said covenant blessing. Covenant Blessing. Let me let me give you a little a sneak peek of what was coming in this message. David, while he was running for his life, stopped. Asked the priest to bring the presence of God, offered sacrifices, and sat there sniffing. Reminding himself of covenant. Then he said, take that back, that presence of God back into the city of Jerusalem because I want the people there to have the presence of God, even though they ain't living right. And when his haters showed up, he didn't attack back because the covenant was all he cared about. And there's something you need to know in order for us to overcome the, 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 the enemy's attacks and the defeat that the enemy's trying to bring to us. In order for us to walk in victory through every obstacle, number one, there's only two points to this message. You've got to remember who you are. Remember your identity. You are a covenant child of God. In fact, the Bible describes you like this, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar person called to show forth his praise who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What was David known as? What was his title? What was he? Not only the man after God's own heart, but what was his, his, his title? King. King. You are royalty. Just like David. Do you understand what that means? 
That means that when things go wrong in your life and your hater shows up, it's not our job to fix the hater. See, kings don't fight battles over skirmishes and skirmishes over slights and insults. They don't fight wars because you talk about my mama. Kings fight battles, God's kings, not the world's kings. God's kings fight battles, number one, to enlarge the kingdom, and number two, to protect the kingdom. That's it. There's only two reasons we're supposed to fight, to enlarge the kingdom and to protect the kingdom. I'm going to tell you right now, there was some cleansing in 2020. Because God wanted us to understand, sometimes we get caught up fighting the wrong fight instead of fighting the right fight. The world starting to know what people are against instead of what we are for. Mm-hmm. Fighting all the wrong fights. Don't put me in your, in your political fight right now. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about people thinking that we're against everything instead of knowing what we're for. Let me tell you what Calvary is for. We are for those who don't have finances. We are for those who don't have food. We are for those who don't have the gospel. We are for those who are broken, busted, disgusted, jacked up, hurting, and missing. We are for the wealthy who are lost. We are for the poor who don't know him. We are for Honduras. We are for Central and South America. We are for the mission of Jesus Christ going around the world. That's who we are. We are kingdom people. We don't waste our time on insults and slights. This is who we are. World domination. Because we know when the gospel goes out, the world has shifted. The world will be changed forever. <laughs> David didn't fight him. He left that joker alone. Man, I wish I was there. I'd have punched him in his face. Talk, I wish you would talk about my pastor. Say something. Say something. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. Where was I? <laughs> what, I what I learned is this. We got to know better than to fight our distractions. Because you are a kingdom person, here's what happens. You possess what you fight. Every time you fight, you win. And every time you win, you possess. And so if you fight your critic, guess what you get? You get what your critic has. If you fight your critic, you become critical. The only reason people talk about your life on Facebook is because they don't have one. Don't waste your time fighting them. Don't waste your time arguing with them. Hit that delete button, that ignore button, and walk away. Because the world needs to know, y'all, what we are about. The right fight requires the right mind. And we must, in our mind, remember who we are. We're children of the king, royal priesthoods. Huh. When I talk about your image, I'm not just talking about, uh, I should say your identity. I'm not just talking about your, your, your image as far as your outline. I'm talking about your physical form and your physical function. In that you are made in the image of God. You do the things that God has enabled you to do. The, the very things God does. It's what separates us from kingdom animalia is that we have the power to forgive and the power to heal and the power to restore and the rest of the kingdoms of this world do not. What is so unique about you and beautiful in the sight of God is that the Bible describes your creation as wonderful. Did you know that? The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. 
That's good. One, man, look at your lady right now and say, girl, your body is wonderful. Tell her the truth. This is church growth right now. We don't stepped into something. Wonderfully made. The same word used to describe Jesus by the prophets. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It was used not just to describe your soul or your spirit. It was used to describe your body. Here's the problem. We forget our identity when we go through trouble. Because we think our identity is what we do instead of who we are. Who are you? Well, I'm a doctor. No, you're not. You're a man of God who practices medicine. Who are you? I'm an educator. No, 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 no. You are a woman of God who educates children. You're not what you do. You're who you are. And your maker's mark is God's fingerprint on your body. In other words, I used to think when I went through difficult times, that God didn't care about my body. All he cared about was my soul. I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought God didn't have, you know what, God has a lot of people to take care of. Why should he care about this fingernail right here that's hurting? Why should he care about the simple little things in my life? He does care. That's why it heals. He does care about every mosquito bite on your body. He created your body. He is in love with your body. He loves every part of you, not just the good things you do, not just the performance and the perfect of, of your uh, of your uh, but the perfection of your performance. He cares about your personhood. He cares about you. All of you. Watch this. Just do this. Just that right there will help us understand. Could you smell? If you still, if you can't smell, we ask that you stand up and leave. Go see your doc. I'm just kidding. I love you. Too soon? Holy Spirit fingers, okay? Holy Spirit fingers. That, that covers everything. <laughs> That's a bad joke. I'm going to cut that out. After second service. All right. Just that one thing helps us understand our value. And will help you and I understand that when we're going through difficult situations, we have to understand the culture of God's kingdom as opposed to our community culture. God doesn't see your value in what you produce. God already has intrinsically placed value upon your form, your body. Some of us go, well, God doesn't care. Okay. You're so sure you know how God thinks about you. And I'm just being real. We're so sure we know how God thinks about us that he doesn't care about all of our issues and all of our problems, but we don't even know how our own body works. But we think we know how he thinks. We are so smart. Uh-uh, we're not. Right? How does your nose work? I mean, how does it work? Break it down. But we think we know what God's thinking. Okay, let me help you because I did some research, about 30 hours on this. Your brain is so sophisticated, it can break down the elements of complex chemical compounds to animate an oral understanding of its identity. You could just be hanging out, chilling, and go, hold up. I smell flour. Yeast, salt, a little bit of butter. What are you smelling? Bread. You can just determine it just like that. With one sniff, bread. You can even determine it what kind of bread it is. What's it? Wheat, rye, pumpernickel, sourdough, yeast rolls. You can smell it just like that. You can smell with one sniff and know if it's good bread or bad. She done burnt up that bread, y'all. Everything with one sniff. How does it work? This is so cool. 
You have millions of receptors in your olfactory epithelium, over 450 different just receptors. These receptors extend signal to two different places simultaneously. It sends the signal to the piriform cortex and the thalamus gland. The piriform cortex identifies the smell. So you're just hanging out. This sounds deep, but it's not. You're hanging out sniffing. Barbecue. Okay? That's the piriform cortex. All right. Then the thalamus gland, or the relay station of the mind, sends that sense to three other places simultaneously. Okay. First, to the orbital frontal cortex, which determines the taste or the pleasure of the smell. So you're sitting there and you go, barbecue. Then the orbital frontal cortex, good barbecue. Okay. There's a difference. All right. There's good barbecue. And then there's that North Carolina mustard stuff from Satan. I'm just kidding. Don't tell, don't, don't tell Pastor Glenn. I said that. Okay. Then there's the hippocampus, which draws a, lear, draws a learned response to the smell. So you're sitting there, you go, what kind of, bar, what, 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 what kind of food? Barbecue. What kind of barbecue? Okay. <laughs> the, the, the hippocampus goes, what do you do about it? Eat it. Eat it now. Okay. My brain says that all day. Then the amygdala draws on your memory of the smell. So it goes first, what kind of barbecue? What do we do about it? Then the amygdala goes, 2015, 4th of July, it was a great barbecue. Oh, yeah. We call that smemories. Actually, I made that up. It's pretty fun. Smemories. Good memories, bad memories, but everybody has smemories. The memories affixed to smell. The earliest memories and recollections of your life are affixed to aromas. Why? Because even as a baby, your first powerful sense is smell. Smell goes all the way back to infantile days. Smell, 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 sniff, sniff, sniff. Good memories. Remember when you're walking through the mall and you smell a good memory? Some cologne, some perfume that reminded you of somebody you loved? You're like, oh, yeah, and I had the time of my life, you know, walking around the good smell. Or you go to the, you know, go to the, 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 the fair. That's where I smelled it. You go to the fair and you smell something that reminds you of one of them hussy, I mean, girls back in, in junior high that dumped you because you didn't have bubble yum in your pocket. Remember Michelle Haynes? Remember her? And you're walking around and, and you smell a smell and you're like, now we've come. To the end of the road, so safe. You know, everybody's got memories, right? Did you know that God has memories? Do you know that some of the earliest recollections of covenant were established through memories? Oh my, check it out. In Genesis chapter 8, Noah and his family come out of the ark, okay? Remember the ark? It was a huge ship that God used to save humanity from destruction. And when the flood covered the whole earth, he put Noah and his family in this boat that Noah and his family built. And he took two of every ceremonially and socially unclean animal and seven of every ceremonially and socially clean animal and put them in the boat with him. And when the flood was over and they came out of the ship, this is what happens. In Genesis chapter 8, the Bible says, taking some of the clean animals, ceremonial socially, and clean birds, Noah built an altar to the Lord and burned these animals as a sacrifice, the clean ones, ceremonially clean, on that sacrifice. And the Bible says this, God smelled. 
the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. All of a sudden, there's a ribbon in the sky for our love. God puts a rainbow in the sky and establishes a covenant, and this is what he says. I will be your God, you be my people. Walk in the way I command you that it may go well with you. He establishes a covenant off of an aroma and establishes a promise off of an aroma. God has a signature aroma that signifies covenant and community, and it's called barbecue. Last week, barbecue was happening up in here. Pastor's trying to preach quick. I I was watching. I was worshiping with you because pastor's preaching quick last week. God bless America. Let's eat some chicken. It was great. Because the Jewish people believe this. When food was on the altar and sacrificed, they believed they were literally barbecuing with God. That God was eating with them. Their altars weren't just ceremonies. They became ceremonies later because the people became stale in their relationship with God. And God said this, I'm sick of your sacrifices. You don't care about me. You just want to be forgiven for sins and be absolved of all your your wrongdoing. I'm tired of that. I hate your ceremonies. I hate your sacrifice because you don't want to spend time with me anymore. Quit killing animals if that's all you're going to do. Then Jesus came. And Jesus said, oh, you need to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm going to teach you what your new sacrifice is. It's prayer, and you're going to worship God and talk to God. And Jesus brought us to a place of intimacy. But it all started with an aroma. Oh, Alan, that's just one situation. That's just one circumstance. Exodus chapter 30, the Bible says that God establishes the original anointing oil. One day I'll come back and preach the anointing here for your pastor because he, he is worthy of that, that kind of honor. And it, when God establishes the anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, he tells Moses, take for yourself quality spices. And he says, I want you to compound them according to the art of a perfumer. And he says, this oil you're going to make is holy, 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 holy. It is not to be poured on any common human's flesh, nor an outsider. If it is, they're to be excommunicated. This is an ointment or a perfume to me, God says, throughout all generations. Wow. God had a cologne he wanted his servants to wear. A signature scent of his servants. And it was on prophets and priests that it was poured. And then later on, on kings like Saul and David. A signature aroma that showed, I work for the king. No, that king. That's powerful. Let's keep going. Jesus was born, right? And the Bible says he's in Galilee and certain wise men appear. Many theologians say there could have been as many as 200 wise persons from Pakistan and India on their camels bearing bearing gifts for little boy Jesus and they take from their their treasures gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh interesting two of the three gifts they gave little boy Jesus were aroma gifts the most valuable gift they gave him that day was myrrh not gold myrrh was worth more than its own weight in gold aroma 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 new testament tabernacle interesting how we studied the tabernacle of old we have the three locations the outer court the inner court and the holy of holies 
Did you ever notice that the high priest would go to the outer court and grab a censer, which is a box or an orb, and he'd go to the inner court and grab incense and put it in the censer, and then he'd go to the veil, which is as thick as 18 inches thick, and he would stick his arm beyond the veil and wave the incense before the Ark of the Covenant. Before he entered the presence of God, he wanted there to be an aroma that represented intercession or the supplication of God's people. He prepared the presence of God, the box, with a scent. Before his annual entrance into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Aroma, 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 aroma. It continues through the New Testament. Aroma. So imagine David is, he's running for his life, but he says, hey priest, bring the ark and stop. We're going to do a sacrifice. And the people are marching by trying to get out of the town. They're like, man, we got to get out of here. We're going to get killed. And they're leaving town. And David is standing there, worshiping before the altar. Worshiping. He made an altar in the wilderness. Worshiping out there. Smelling the covenant promises of God. I will be your God. You be my people. Walk in the ways I command you, and it will go well with you. He was reminding himself of who he was. I'm almost done. Y'all good? Did you know that you have a smell? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, walking in love, just as Christ also have loved us and given himself for us, a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. That's so good. That's so good. Did you notice something though? Jesus was a sweet sacrifice. You know how the Bible describes the sacrifices in the first testament? Savory. Because when it when you start something, it may be savory. But when you get to the end of the meal, you want something. Jesus was that sweetness. That his sacrifice was never to be repeated. It was once and done. What a sweet, sweet gift. Huh. But at the beginning of that verse, it says this, that we are to walk or live as dear children. Wow. Do you know that God sees you as his baby? That he doesn't see you as an adult? See, this is important when you're going through a difficult time. When you and I are going through a difficult time, here's what we think. Men especially, we think this. I got myself in this mess. I'm a... I'm going to get myself out. Guess what? God doesn't expect that. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. And, and when you and I understand who we are, it changes everything. When you and I understand our identity in God's kingdom, you are not the adult. You are the baby. That's why Jesus came and said, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you're going to come as a baby. You're going to come as a child. You must be born Again, you can't be born just once. You got to be born again. In your spirit, you have to say, I'm his baby. Why? Because it's a humble place. It's a surrendering place. It's a place where you surrender your ideals and your will. And you say, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, you are in control. I'm your baby. You think you are so grown. But God is older than the word old. He he created the world old so that you'd understand the finiteness of of your ability to describe him. He is eternal. And compared to him, you ain't nothing but a ga-ga-goo-goo. 
And some of you are like, well, man, you know what? I, 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 okay, maybe I am a baby, but, but, but I, I got to fix this. No, you can't fix this. Babies make messes. That's what they do. And what do good parents do? They fix them. But by the way, nothing smells good better than a baby. A clean, clean baby. <laughs> you know, after that Johnson's baby wash with that jasmine scent, mm, baby smelled good, right? Mm. Do you know that the Smithsonian Institute did a 40-year study on the aroma of a baby and the effect it has on its parents and it transliterates to God's word? This is what they discovered. The Smithsonian Institute, 40-year study, they said the aroma of a baby has a decided effect on its parents akin to drug addiction. That when you smell your baby, physiologically, something takes place inside of you. And it causes you to respond two ways. Number one, when you sniff your baby, bonding occurs. You want to hug your baby, squeeze your baby, kiss your baby. You can't take it anymore. Grandmama, they said you go straight up into oral fixation. You lose your mind when you sniff your grandbaby. You literally sniff your grandbaby and go all the way to like, I want to eat this baby. I want to kiss this baby feet and bite them off. And nobody cares because everybody knows grandma does whatever grandma wants to do. She's in charge. The second response is service, service. Whatever that baby wants, whatever that baby needs, whatever that baby asks for, baby going to get it. Okay? Think about it. That's how God feels about you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You are his baby. He is in love with you. There is nothing he won't do for you. There is nothing he won't save you from. He is mad about you. He wants to grab you in. You know what some of you look like to God? Let me explain. You in trouble or run into trouble. You got that ugly boy you trying to date. You know it ain't right. Your uncle told you ain't right. Your mama told you ain't right. Your mama, dad, your daddy told you ain't right. Your girlfriend and say he ain't nothing but trouble but you still running for him like a crazy person and God is chasing you down and you running trying to get there like a baby and then you turn around you see God you're like ah, ah, running for trouble and God's going like this come here little naughty baby come here baby come here baby and as soon as you surrender he's going to scoop you up in his arms Whee! and save the day because baby always wins you got in the parking lot, your baby had two choices, go to church or run to the highway. What did their baby do? Half of them went to church. Some of y'all baby naughty as a mug. Lying up in church, talking about came to church. Your baby didn't come to no church. Your baby was running for the highway. Running for that mud puddle in the parking lot. Why? Because babies are naughty. But what's our job? To protect, provide, and cleanse them. That's what God wants to do for you. Protect, provide, and cleanse. And he'll clean you up. I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. So good. Now, thanks be to God who always causes us. Come on, worship team. Who always causes us to triumph. We usually stop there. But keep reading. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge. In every place. For we are to God. The aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. To one. The aroma of life leading to life. To the other. The aroma of death leading to death. And who is sufficient. For these things. Do you know what that means? This is so cool. Until you and I understood. The covenant was established with aroma. 
We don't understand what Jesus just, or the word just described that Jesus did for us. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he washes us whiter than snow. And then he oils us. He conditions you with the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. But what's incredible is this. Everywhere you go, you smell like Jesus. People that meet you go, uh-uh, that is not the girl I knew 10 years ago. What has happened to her? And you look back and you go, whiter than snow, he washed me. My favorite part of this is the Bible declares in this scripture that you don't have to have an inferiority complex because you're a naughty baby. I'm a naughty baby too. Because when God smells you, even your smell makes him happy. Scripture says to God, did you see that part? To God, you are the aroma of Christ. So even your smell is perfect. When God smells you, he goes, "Mm, I can't even tell the difference between Margaret and Jesus. Man, she smells like my son. Man, there ain't nothing about her I don't love. I love every part of her. (laughs) Hmm. So one way that we can remind ourselves of who we are is aroma. Slow down and smell things. Second way to live in victory. It's the final way and I'm done. Remember your training. In other words, remember your history. Remember what you've been through. Remember how you've come through. Remember that God was there for you before and that God will always be there for you in the future. Remember this, that God has never failed you. I'm going to tell you the truth, man. Everybody in my world at some point has failed me. There's one person who hasn't. My family has failed me. My government has let me down. My neighbors have hurt me. Man, my coach in basketball turned me away. Turned me away. Man, everyone's turned their back on me at some point. But Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. He will not leave you or forsake you. He won't turn his back on you. He won't trip you, trap you, or dump you. He loves you. Jesus sees you as a baby and he's chasing you. I know there's a book called God Chasers, but I ain't never chased him in my life. All I've done was run away from the sin that tried to possess me. It was Jesus that was chasing me. He was coming after me. I didn't go for him. He came for me. And when I remember that, I remember the covenant through the aroma, but I remember my identity and my history through songs. The aroma reminds us of identity, but man, I'm going to tell you, the song reminds us of our history. Why do we worship in church? Why do we sing songs? Why are old songs so important to us? They're spiritual, but, but it's not just that. It's older songs remind you of God's providence and provision and blessing in your past. 
That's why when you sing, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. That is a reminder of where you were and God was there for you. So for some of us, it might be no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't God will do that reminds you. Of what God did for you. How God was there for you. See, David knew who he was. He even reminded himself of the Roma. But when David knew the battle was that it's going to be at its worst, what did he do? <laughs> he sang. He sang. He wrote a song while he was running for his life. David was weird. I don't know about you. Someone trying to kill me, I ain't like... Jesus is the answer. He got a gun for the world today. I don't do that. But David knew that the Bible's a musical. It's the greatest story ever told, not the greatest showman. And he wrote a song while he was running for his life. (laughs) I can see David right now. I'm done preaching. I can see David coming off that mountain. The ark is going back into Jerusalem. And he's singing in his pentameter. Da-da-da. That's what they did back then. They would create a, a rhythmic pentameter for the whole family. And every song they wrote was the same pentameter. Did you know that? So David's was OG pentameter. So simple. Ba-da-da. And everywhere he went, he'd write a song. He wrote all those psalms, and I guarantee most of them were the same pentameter. Because every Jewish family had a, a rhythm that they sang their songs to. Da-da-da. And everywhere he went, man, people were like, this dude crazy. He's singing right now. There's a lion trying, lions and tigers and bears and trying to eat you. You're over there. Da-da-da. There's Goliath. Da-da-da. He's just going around. He's marching down the mountain. His son is on his heels trying to kill him. And David, da-da-da. People leaned in close to hear what David was saying and singing. And here's what he said. Many are they who rise up against me. Da-da-da. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, the glory and the lifter. Of my head. Da, da, da. He just kept singing. I cried to the Lord with a mighty voice and he heard me from his holy mountain. I cried to the Lord with a mighty voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I will not be afraid of tens of thousands who surrounded themselves against me all around. Arise, O oh Lord. Vindicate me, O oh my God. You struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You've broken the teeth of the ungodly. Oh man. He's singing. And when you find yourself going through a difficult season and time, and you don't know what to do, you don't know how you're going to see this through, and you can't get to a barbecue joint quick enough. Y'all can tell I went to the barbecue joint a lot last year. You might want to do this. You might want to just sing. Singing reminds you of who God is and who you are and who he is to you. It's just a simple vocal reminder that God will see you through.
that he won't leave you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.